I'm your host, Rabbi Linda Schreiner Khan, and welcome to Tehillah Talks, where teens engage in honest conversation with their rabbi about what it means to be Jewish in the world today. Yes, we are ready to start and uh, to say welcome, everyone, to Tehillah Talks. And especially a warm welcome to to Ben and Hannah, who haven't been with us before, but and our, our regulars, Julia, Julian, and uh, Helena, and Natasha's with us, and Bernie is our other regular. And why did I do that? Because they're on the same screen as Hannah. We have two sets of siblings on this uh, on this episode, and uh, <laughs> and I know each each of you has this has uh, your own strong opinions. I thought it'd be too much if I had one more set of siblings on, on this. It just would have been, I didn't want to tempt fate. So the first thing I want to do tonight is, is uh, find out how you're all doing. So just sort of check in and how are you and how's it going and what's new and different. So I'm going to start with you, Natasha. You're doing a very calm action as we're talking here. Is that needlepoint? I've been learning embroidery. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's how you're sitting at the, the pandemic. You're doing embroidery. Yes. Um, I'm very bad at it. <laughs> um, so that's, I'm doing okay. I've been following a lot of what's been happening in the past couple of days with the protests and writing and just feeling like, you know, in appreciating like the time to um, be able to be more engaged, do some reading about stuff that I don't feel like I'm as educated as I could be on, like thinking about police violence and prison abolition. I'm personally doing fine. Everyone in my house is okay. And that's really nice. Um, that's what I really want to start with you. Yeah. And then we'll get to cool. big. We start, we start small and then we'll get bigger. Okay. Okay. Sorry, it's just what's on my mind. Okay, I'm going to stop now. Bye. (laughs) Hannah, nice to see you. What's cooking? Yeah, I was just saying it's been interesting because I've been home for about two and a half months now, back in Yonkers, um, from college when I wasn't expecting to be. But it hasn't been too awful. I've been cooking and baking a lot, which has been fun. And of course, I get to annoy Bernie. (laughs) So that's been good. Um, But yeah, also doing some reading and just really trying to spend some time outside because we're super fortunate. We don't live right in the city, so we can actually go outside on walks in the neighborhood. And we even started a little garden. So that's been really great. Ben. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, this is really nice to uh, see all your faces and to talk to you all. I'm also doing uh, pretty okay. My family, I've been home for over two months, just about three months. And yeah, I've been pretty fortunate. My family is actually currently in a beach house in North Carolina for the week. And we're just quarantining down here on the ocean, taking in the nice warm summer breeze that is, it's incredible. And it's like something that we're really fortunate to be having right now. Uh, Yeah. And that's, I'll talk about a little bit of what I've been doing. So I'm the current camp director, the Roche of Camp Mosheba, Habadim Jor Camp Mosheba in Harford County, Maryland. And over the last few weeks, I've been leading my 
my staff, my team in transferring all our content online, making sure that our kids and our campers can at least have like some sense of camp, uh, but online. And uh, I've been doing that for the last few weeks, pretty much nonstop. Uh, and I will be continuing to do that over the next couple of weeks as well. Whoa, Julian, what are you up to? Um, Not much. I've been procrastinating and not doing my homework, but I recently got a job as like a janitor at Stu Leonard. So that's kind of what I'm up to now. Yeah, I've just been hanging out and like reading, doing doing stuff I didn't really have time for before all this happened. So I'm good. You know, I'm counting my blessings, considering that like a lot of people have it much worse right now. So I'm good. Helena. Um, well, it's the end of my junior year, so I have a lot of work, but I only have four more days of school, so that should be good. I'm also in the middle of writing a textbook with my friend on Latin and ancient Greek, so that's been taking up a lot of time. You're writing a textbook on Latin and ancient Greek. I have yes. people for you to talk to, uh, but remind me about that another time. When Helena told me that for the first time, I thought she was like playing a joke on me. I was like, well, you can just write a textbook, but she sent it to me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, Bernie, can you top that? <laughs> I definitely can't. Um, <laughs> the last couple of weeks definitely have been busy with school, but uh, nothing that busy. And like Helena said, it's coming to an end. So I'm excited about that. I have everything mostly done by this point. So. It's taken some time to relax. I know that all of you had, uh, as as Ben clearly indicated, uh, the summer had originally looked very different for each of you. Uh, some of you had plans and maybe some of you didn't, but it still felt like summer and a certain sense of liberation or work. I think, Helena, you were going to go up to Alaska. Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah, things, things have shifted. And... Um, I wanted to, you know, I, I sent you an email and I said, we'll talk about the holiday of Shavuot and uh, that we just finished. And it's this holiday that has an identity crisis. And that was what I thought we'd be talking about today. And then in the meantime, the world exploded yet again, yet again. And um, I'm really curious to hear, I know Natasha was beginning to go there, but yeah, I, I want to frame it in a Jewish context also, we're, we're taught in the Torah that we are supposed to pursue justice. And the phrase is justice, justice, shall you pursue? Must you pursue? And uh, in thinking about that, what does it mean to pursue justice, right? And why is that such a, a Jewish value? And the, and the word for justice in Hebrew is uh, ascetic and it's related to the word tzedakah and if i know you all probably you know you might think and people listening might think that tzedakah is charity but it's righteous or just behavior it's an obligatory behavior toward others and so uh in the pursuit of justice you know i i will admit to all of you that i am right now i know i can go to vigils i know i can uh I can write letters and I can write messages to the community. But my question, and I'm not think you have, I mean, I'm saying you have answers, but you might have ideas of what can we do at this moment? What can we do at this moment where 400 years of history is bearing down on us? And I think of you, Hannah, and uh, 
and what you did with the walkout at uh, at Fieldston. And so I'm going to start with you because I bet you've thought about some of these things before. Yeah, definitely. And of course, you're referring to last year at Fieldston when we had a huge protest that was uh, entitled the Students of Color Matter. And so I was part of the walkout and we actually had a lock-in, of course, I'm sure many of you know, where we were basically protesting to get the administration to agree to 20 demands. And it was surrounding racial equality at Fieldston. And Bernie, you can hop on too. But basically, it was a very powerful moment. And I think what we mainly saw as a community is that when we actually were able to take physical action and putting our bodies in a space and really showing that we cared and actually just disrupting the typical actions of every day, we were able to get the most powerful change that we ever thought was possible. The administration agreed to all 20 demands after several or a little over 100 students were actually sleeping overnight in buildings in our school and basically blocking them off from administrators. And so especially right now during this time, I think I've been thinking a lot about how it's really a difficult time to protest because you're basically putting yourself and anyone that you live with at risk in terms of the exposure to COVID. And I think it's really difficult because we have seen that being able to put your body out there and just have your presence there is can have such a huge impact, right? And so it's really difficult to to weigh the risks and what is most important right now at this time. Anybody else? If anyone speak, just uh, let me know, raise your hand or, or jump in. Julian. I mean, I don't really have any answers or ideas, but yeah, I think it's just been such a crazy couple weeks with just all the all the different cases of police brutality that have been coming out. And I think a lot of people are really struggling with reacting to these events while also being in lockdown. And although I'm planning to protest in person at some point, definitely like the coronavirus weighs really heavily on that decision because you know, unfortunately, New York is like the capital of coronavirus deaths and it's not going anywhere. So I don't know. I mean, it's a really, it's a really tumultuous time. So you, all of you are uh, living through something. It's a convergence. It's a convergence of all kinds of, of events that we've, we've never quite seen this kind of convergence before. We've seen violence before. We've seen protests before. But with the, with the virus part of it, we've never quite seen that before. And that makes it much more complicated. But think, I just want to highlight one thing that you said, Hannah, because I want to make it to clear to anybody who doesn't know. In that occupation of your school, there was no uh, physical damage done to the school, correct? So it was a nonviolent occupation. I think that's a really important element. and the question becomes, how do we be disciplined enough if we're going to put our bodies on the line to do so in a way where our anger doesn't get in the way of what we're trying to accomplish? And that's not easy. It's not easy. And yet we have to pursue justice in every way that we can. Natasha, you said you've been thinking about this quite a bit and you've been doing some uh, research. And then Helena will talk. Yeah, I was protesting yesterday down by the hub in the Bronx. 
with people's power assemblies. I guess I maybe want to speak to what you're talking about with like property damage um, and maybe challenge the idea that like anger is not part of like how we create change and how we motivate our change. I think asking people to moderate their like anger about something like this, about like essentially like state sanctioned murder is, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily a position I agree with. And I think like, especially in the society we live in, like property speaks, like property is what people listen to. And I think if your government is not listening to you and you're peaceful, like, I think it is a lot to ask to say, like, to stay peaceful. I'm really glad or like, understand why Fieldston remained, I guess, like nonviolent or like, didn't engage in property damage. But I guess I'd like to hear other people's thoughts on, I don't know. I, I, I just want to tell you, grow, growing up at the time that I did, where there were demonstrations where there was great property damage, it created <laughs> more racism. And people were destroying not, they were destroying their own homes and their own neighborhoods. And that that also leaves a certain mark. So it's, I'm not disagreeing that the anger doesn't come from a righteous place. I'm not disagreeing at all. Yeah. I think part of it is that also this is being fueled from other sources, but. One thing I will, I understand you want other people to speak. Um, I have been following different Minnesota businesses and a lot of them have come out in support of the rioting and the kind of, I guess, damage that you're talking about and really speaking to the point that like property can be replaced and lives cannot. And so I do think that's worth thinking about. And like, just because something like creates more racism doesn't necessarily mean without it, you wouldn't have that anyway. And so I'll let other people speak now. Helena, you wanted to say something and Ben, you wanted to say something. Well, I was just going to say that in my history class for the past few weeks, we've been talking about civil rights movements and how they have been successful. And then just this week, we were talking about reparations for slavery and centuries of injustice, but also allyship. And I think now we can all focus on how individually we can help and where and how we should use our voice. What does it mean to be an ally? Um, I think it means to stand in support of a group of people and not necessarily be one of them and be faced with the same challenges that they are, but to help them actively. And it's interesting, though, is that for many people, this is an aha moment of realizing, uh, never having realized before, which I don't really understand, that because your skin is a different color, you are going to be treated differently. Uh, For anybody who has friends who are of color, we we know that. Uh, We know we get treated differently because of the color of our skin. Ben, you were going to say something. Yeah, I think I was just going to go back to Natasha's point and about the, um, the, the destruction of property that is currently going on in cities. And like, I also want to like make clear that there, there are a lot of reports of a lot of the violence not starting on the side of the protesters. In fact, I haven't heard any violence starting on the side of the protesters. And there, there like does come to a point where there's like, only so much that like people can do when they're being like forced into a corner and pushed up against a wall. And then they see people coming in and like, they're the, and like, like we see white people who are either like a part of the protest that just get very, very, very animated and they start the, the physically, the very violent acts or white supremacist organizations send like undercover 
people to like start the attacks as well. Like there's just so much that's like going against like the protesters right now that like we shouldn't lose sight that like even though there is like destruction to the property, like we also have to realize that a lot of it is coming not from the people who are like organizing the protests, the people who are like really, really trying to like use the protests to make change. A lot of it is coming from outside areas that like kind of want to stir the pot in some way. And then like once that happens, it kind of just escalates and escalates and escalates. And then there's only so much the protesters can do from there. And then I like I also wanted to touch on like the point of allyship and specifically of Jewish allyship. And I want like I think that as of right now, Jews specifically in North America are in a very, very like privileged space in the world, in North America, in Europe and all, all like basically all over we are like right now in like a time of peace and prosperity that like has never truly been seen in Jewish history before like not like not saying that there is no anti-semitism because of course but I think that because like we are in a space where we like are not subjected to like violent anti-semitic attacks every day where we might not be looking left and looking right and fearing for our lives as Jews all the time. Like we are like at this like point where like we as Jews like do need to stand up and like see like our, like our black peers and Latinx peers and any, like any people who are not white that are being mistreated. And like, I think that's like a very, very important thing that we have like going for us as a Jewish community is that we have these like thousands of years oppression of oppression behind us that like make us see oppressions today bernie you haven't said anything i guess that just going back a little bit about like the rioting and and property damage i've heard a lot about how it's it's not that that's what i mean it's not that that's what people want to happen but it's like it's a last resort because people a lot of people think that you know this is happening right now and this is like an uprising right now, but they don't realize that this has been going on like forever. So it's, it's kind of the culmination of such a long uh, period of frustration and nothing being done that it's kind of sort of last resort just to maybe get something to be done. The question I have is that in the current environment, given the government that we're dealing with is what are our methods? And I, I'm not saying that this is right or wrong. I'm just saying Uh, You know, when you were dealing with your school administration, it was a certain tenor of individuals surrounded by other individuals and pressure points were available. And my question is, here we are in this situation, and I don't know what the pressure points are to stop it and to change it, particularly since some of this was already happening when President Obama was president. So that to think that this happened all of a sudden now is yes and. Yes, and and it's been happening, and now we have the added piece of um, the uh, racism toward anybody who's Asian because of the pandemic. Uh, walking walking in the street Asian is a whole different ballgame than it was five months ago. To be very honest with you, so we're um, white supremacy is is a big piece of this, and I'm going to say, Ben, I had a professor who said. Uh, so I, I was ordained a while back and he said, 
Jews are in the best shape they've ever been in. Anti-Semitism is disappearing and it's going to disappear. And uh, one of my colleagues and I said, no, it's never going to disappear. And the truth is today, anti-Semitism is the highest that it's been in 40 years. So we can't be so sanguine. It's like, it's, it's to me, when I look at this picture, it's every group that is other right now, it has their, the thumb is on them. And yes, if you're a black American, it's on you or, or a Latinx American, it's more, but actually if you're a native American, the pandemic is hitting you harder than any other community because and, and this is the other piece of this puzzle, and then I'll let you guys talk. Something else that is a very strong Jewish value is taking care of the sick. And the concept is pikuach nefesh. And what this whole situation has revealed to us is that healthcare in America depends on how much money you have in the bank and who you know. If you, if you know the right people, you'll get, the, you'll get better healthcare than if you are on Medicaid, and then even less good uh, medical care if you are a person of color, right? And you walk in. So, Julian, you had your hand up, and I cut you off. No, no, um, no problem. I've just been thinking, I guess me and my sister talked a little bit about this, but just like the way that our system is set up is not, it's set up in a way that when we have these issues, like there, it's really difficult to get change. And that's a lot of the discourse that I'm seeing like on social media or amongst my, my classmates is like, besides donating to, besides protesting, besides posting on social media, like w- what are we really going to do to affect change? And I think it becomes a very difficult discussion of like how that would actually work. You know what I mean? And I think in the case of like New York City, the NYPD is like, kind of, it's like its own huge, powerful institution. And I think maybe our government has less oversight over them than we think. You know what I'm saying? Like this is unionized workers, like a huge union, et cetera. So I think my sister was kind of challenging me to think a little bit more outside the box in terms of like how we could administer justice in this country. So, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of, I think, over the next couple of weeks, we'll see whether this movement is going to have the cohesion to like set forth some demands or some measures that could change policing, change the justice system, change how change America for the better instead of just like we mourn George Floyd like we did Eric Garner like six years ago or or however long it was, and nothing really concrete comes of it. So it's a it's a really challenging question. But the, what I sort of began to intimate in what I said to Hannah is where are the pressure points? In other words, where can we push for change? Is the justice system right now, as it currently stands, the place where we can apply pressure? Is the healthcare system one that's an easier place to apply pressure because it's so visible and because COVID has affected people across many lines? So i challenge it that way. Julian. Honestly, I think that the 2020 election is going to become a focal point for all of this because I think President Trump has made it clear which what side of the aisle he's on right now. And I think it's going to be up to, I guess, Joe Biden or the Democratic Party to, to 
come out in support of changing the system, you know, if they win the election. You know what I mean? I think people people are going to start putting more pressure on on the Democratic Party, on Joe Biden to like actually think of a plan to actually affect some change with their political power. So I don't know. I think it's at, like once the summer is over and as November approaches, it's going to become, I think the presidential election will become the focal point, but it's really something that should be every single pressure point we should try to push. You know what I mean? It's, it's about pressure, but uh, yes, but we've, we, uh, I think Ben referred to that before as, as Jews. We've seen, we've had oppression for a very long time. We've experienced it. And whether we personally experienced, we, we we're told that uh, oppression seeps into your into your DNA somehow. The sense of what that feels like. I don't know if that's fully true, but I do know that <laughs> it does make us allies. It does make us understand maybe a little bit better, but it doesn't mean we understand it all. And and I, I've had this. I would call it a very difficult conversation. And it's time. One of the things that we can do, each of us individually and as a community, and it's something I'm really thinking about is how do we have the difficult conversations about race? And I wonder if you guys have already had those difficult conversations and it's just a bunch of people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and up who haven't had those kinds of difficult conversations about race, right? But but I think all of us need to have them and, and understand that being feeling oppressed as being Jewish is very different than feeling oppressed uh, when you're black or if you're Muslim and 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 uh, covering your hair, right? That's very different. Yeah, you're gonna say and then and then Ben, Julia. Well, I was just gonna ask you, like, was the like just as an example of one a similar incident incident in the past, like the death of Rodney King? Did you feel like white people back then across the country were um, really thinking about what was going on in, in Los Angeles or was it kind of what we're seeing today where people are having this? Advert? No, no, no. I think it was, it was huge. Rodney King's death was huge, but I don't think we knew what to do about it. And we didn't have those conversations. We could feel bad. We could feel bad. And that's so sad. And it's so terrible. But did we have the conversation about what it means to be black in America? No. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Ben and then Helena. Uh, so I think in in this day and age with social media both being a blessing and a curse, like we are lucky enough to like see and hear the voices of people who we normally wouldn't be able to hear living in our like bubbles and our bubbles of privilege. But you know, on the flip side of that, we also like film the awful things that happen to black people around the country. We see racist attacks on people, homophobic attacks on people, awful attacks on people just because people are hiding behind a computer. And like, I think that like, you know, that's why we today, like the youth today are like, so, so, so hyper, hyper aware and like having nonstop conversations about it. Not like conversations amongst youth who aren't happening historically because you know we we as as we've seen like throughout time you have been like the people who have pushed change and who have pushed like forward the 
the world. Like we saw that in the Warsaw Ghetto. Well, it, it, it always ha- right, right. The young, the young are the ones who who do things, yeah. who take the risk because you think. I'm going to say it this way: when you're young, you think you're invulnerable. When you get, yeah. to- <laughs> and so That's when you feel true. invulnerable. You know, I'm going to take the risk because nothing's going to happen to me. Uh, and that's, I mean, the, yes, the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising was a bunch of, they were your age. They were, cro- they, were actually, they were our age and they were, they were my age. They were a few years older. They were a few years And also younger. as young as, as Bernie. I mean, it's, the, it's that whole age range of the six of you in front of me and a little bit more. And I, and I think that's like, you know, today, because like we, have this ability to see more and to do more like it's it's up to us to educate more and to make people feel more and not feel sad for a second and then go back to their regular lives but to actually feel and you know last summer I was my camp's uh, program and educational director and I ran a couple of days throughout the summer surrounding um, abolishing ICE and immigration justice in the United States and, you know, it, it really opened the eyes of kids and it really like started a conversation that maybe they wouldn't have had before. And these are kids as young as grade four and as old as 12th grade. So it's like really finding that age range and like understanding that like some people might not have the same like comprehension, i.e. like fourth graders don't have the same comprehension of what's going on as high school seniors but there's still a way to like have these conversations and to push our ideas and push our ideas forward and show that there is stuff that they can do and there's stuff that they could learn. And then they can go out and educate others on that. Elena, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I was going to talk about social media as well. Um, I think it's interesting how social media is playing a role in this and how it's a good place for to have these conversations and as a means to affect change. But I know that people are using their platform to spread messages, but also how people, some people are using their platform to shame others for not being more active. So I think it's an interesting balance right now. So the question is, should everybody uh, stop using Facebook? (laughs) Um, It's been kind of confusing, like what's best to do because there's been so much about on, um, social media about people saying, you know, do something, like get involved. And then there's also been a a lot of people saying, you know, education is great, but don't just post something on your story. That's not enough. Like you have to, you know, donate or protest or, you know, you can't just post something and then go back to your life. So it's kind of confusing about like, what's the right way to show your activism? I feel like I felt that. Part of it is also to change your own behavior and to take into consideration your own behavior. And where, where are your prejudices? Because each one of us is prejudiced against something or someone. And if you tell me you're not, you're lying. Because I know that we all have them and they've been inculcated in different ways. And I would say through the course of my life, I had different prejudices at different times. Um, I was remembering that at a certain point in my life, I really didn't appreciate people who didn't read. I thought people who didn't read I just definitely had a prejudice against them. Uh, how could you not like reading? I just didn't understand. So, you know, I grew out of that. But, but I think part of it is understanding that those are prejudices and, and, they, and, you, and you behave a particular way when you have a prejudice. Yes, uh, Hannah. 
and then and then Natasha. So I want to add on to the social media aspect as well because I think it is partially an answer to your original question about what can we do in this moment, especially when we are on the line about whether it is okay to be in a crowd because of the whole COVID exposure. And I think it's it's like a, what a few people have already said. Social media can be an, such a powerful platform, but it can also be used for hatred as well, of course. And that's why there has been so many discussions about um, what are the right restrictions on it. But that's not really where I wanted to go. I wanted to say that a few of my friends have been texting in a group chat and they're saying a little bit of what Bernie was saying, like the hashtag is just not enough. It is a futile action where you are trying to prove yourself as a non-racist, but anti-racism has to do with, with being more active and just posting a hashtag is not going to be active enough because it's not really implementing any change. Maybe you're getting a few people more, a, a few more people to hear about the headline but it's not going to get them to read about an article or critically think about it. Whereas in some other ways, they're actually, I don't know whether it's linking a really insightful video, which is still not, not as much as we may want to do, but it's, there are different ways to use that platform. And I think it's really important to, for everyone to think about it individually. So I'm going to go to Natasha. Yeah, I mean, I think that at least from like my experience or some of the things I'm thinking about is like thinking about anti-racism as something that you just do like for the rest of your life, obviously, and that like it probably a lot of times you will like come up inadequate or come up short. I think that happens on social media. And so I think like it's okay to see that as like lacking, but also like it is like one small part of maybe like just like a long-term commitment to those things. And I think like in my experience, or at least right now, and I think speaking to the rabbi, talking about like examining your own prejudices, my girlfriend and I have been talking about a resource called White Suprem- Me and White Supremacy. Um, and it's a workbook that someone wrote about like a way that you as the reader can interact with white supremacy and racism and like use it as a moment for self-reflection and hopefully growth. And so maybe like that's something that people can be doing in this time. Like if you can't get outside um, or you don't feel comfortable going outside and you've already donated, I think turning to self-reflection, that's one resource that I've been thinking about. So that when you can go outside, you know what you need to do. Yeah. And I think being dedicated to kind of a long-term like self-education and that there are so many resources out there that really it's like important. I think it's an obligation to be engaged with them. And again, like it's not the answer. It's like not the end of the experience that you're having. It's like just one small part of it. Part of it will be inadequate. Part of it will move you somewhere new and you still have to do it. So I want to ask this question and frame it this way. Do you think we are obligated as Jews to do something? Julian? I mean, I think we're obligated as human beings to do something. I got that. I want to say, I want to frame it. I'm framing it this way for a reason. I have very good friends who are not Jewish, who are definitely engaged in all of this. So it's not about that. 
But do you think, because what we talked about earlier, that because uh, we may have a sense of it. Now, I recall, I'm going to go back in your life and remember an incident where somebody was saying some pretty awful things, anti-Semitic things. And I don't know how that made you feel. But my question is, did that give you an insight that you might not have otherwise had? Whereas if you were just walking down the street as, as a, a white man and you've never encountered it and nobody's ever said anything or done anything, would that be different? You understand how I'm framing this? Yeah. I mean, I think I also want to address, before I get to that specifically, like I want to address the kind of idea that we as Jews have like this background in oppression that makes us more sensitive to other people's oppression. Because at least one of the things that I feel like I've learned about the modern history of the Jewish people is just because you've, or just humans in general, just because you've been the victim in one context doesn't mean that you can become the perpetrator of, of oppression. In the that different. doesn't keep you from doing it. I personally feel that, you know, the history of Israel shows that, etc. And I think if we start to see ourselves, we start to put Jewish history on a pedestal where we're, we've experienced, I mean, clearly we've experienced huge, huge, huge injustice over in the past in many contexts, but that, that doesn't really guarantee that we will be on the right side of the fence in other. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. It oh, doesn't, I, it's not a guarantee. I, I struggle with that idea. I mean, I feel like if you talk to anybody, they'll tell you that, you know what I mean? They're, they had, they're like, you know, sensitive to the press. Da, da, da. Like, even if you talk to racists, their, their rationale is that they're like, you know, the good guys. So I feel like it, it becomes kind of a quagmire. That's kind of why I say like, as humans, we should just acknowledge that we have some type of obligation. But yeah, you know, I, and I, it's true that in America, like we are, the Jewish people are extremely politically, you know, organized and powerful and economically privileged. And that comes, I think that comes with a huge obligation, but I don't know. I, I struggle with the idea that like, just because you have a specific background means that you'll be more adequate as an ally or, you know what I'm saying? Ben, you wanted to say something about this. Um, I think it's also very important important that we all recognize that we are white Jews and that there are a lot of Jews of color, a lot of black Jews, a lot of Latinx Jews, Asian, Asian Jews, Jews who aren't white and who do experience racism. And I think it's like an essentially Jewish value to care for others and to care about the world and the equality of human value and of humankind altogether. And I think that like we as specifically white Jews have that added privilege because we have the history of oppression, because we have our religion, and because we see our Black brothers and sisters and non-binary pals like being oppressed just because of their skin color. And no matter if they're Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Baha'i, whatever, like we, like specifically as white Jews who won't face this privilege, like need to recognize that and also need to recognize that it's like, not on like the Jewish community as a whole. Like we have to like use our Jewish values to engage with our privilege to help all people who are being affected by this current topic, by this current topic, by this current issue, which does include Jews as well. Well, what we uh, last year, um, and Julian, you may remember, Gideon was on the broadcast. Were you on that one too, Helena? I think you were. 
No? Okay. So Gideon, so Gideon Wiesen, uh, who was eight at the time, uh, was talking about, uh, right? It was, it was pretty awesome. He said, well, I'm Jewish, yeah, but nobody can tell I'm Jewish, but they always can tell I'm Black. They can always see that I'm Black. And he was really very clear about it. He's eight, at that time, he was eight years old, and it was just like, this is who I am, and this is how I have to navigate the world. And, you know, we have Jews of color in our community, uh, young Jews of color in our community, uh, but they're a little bit too young to be on this. But I look forward for the day when they can be part of this conversation more fully, because I think their voices are really important, because it is a different experience than when you're white. But there have always been Jews of color, because Judaism is... uh, is spread all over the world. And so we all look different. There are Jews of many different hues, as they would say. So I think that because of that also, Julian, is when your group, whatever, you want beyond religion, if your group is so expansive to include such a diverse population, and if you understand that, now not, I'm not saying everybody does and not everybody has internalized it, but if you internalize that truth that we are so diverse within this larger group, then I think it becomes even more incumbent upon us to be allies. Well, we're diverse, but we're not necessarily equal within the Jewish community. Like, No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely to- right. I'm um, not going to argue with you on that. Jewish community, like... They face so much dis- discrimination within Israel. and but I'm going to just say, though, but that, that one of the biggest synagogues in New York City, the rabbi, uh, she's a rabbi cantor and she's Asian. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, no, I mean. So really, that's, that's a very big deal in terms of expanding how we see ourselves. I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying that there's a reason why people kind of generalize Jews as like, oh, they're Ashkenazi or they're of like a, quote unquote white background i think it's because we've like historically not placed all jews on the same footing you know what i mean like the the sephardic community especially in like recent history has faced so many challenges like they a lot of them were forced to leave the countries that they they called home in the middle east and just things along those lines so i don't know i mean i'm hoping that there's more there jews of those backgrounds become more prevalent in the in the american jewish community but even within even amongst jews we're not necessarily equal no you're right and i think part of it is you need to look sometimes in your own backyard before you can go forward and and that's the challenge and um this is a difficult conversation i mean this is it's not i don't this is not comfortable right this is not I like having answers. I like I like having plans. I like thinking about okay, if I do X, Y, and Z, maybe I can solve this particular challenge. And I look at this particular challenge, and it's not clear to me. And I don't have a road, and I don't have a path. I only know that I have to speak up. I can't be quiet about it. That I know, but I don't know if if whatever I do is going to make a difference. But I know I have to speak up. So that 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 much I know. Yeah, Can Julian. I talking to the older members of Tehila about this past week and George Floyd and all the what how are they reacting? Is it different than what we've Not really. Yeah. Not really. No. 
you know, it's a cold slap in the face. You think you've achieved something and you've got, you've maybe moved a quarter of an inch, you know, you haven't gotten anywhere at all. It's demoralizing and it's painful. And as I said before, when it's so clearly revealed in our New York City healthcare system, what it's like if you're poor as opposed to when you have money, what happens, that's really one of the places you, you see it up close and personal. So no, no, I think we're all in shock, to be honest with you. I don't have a good ending for today. I don't have like a, you know, oh, let's, <laughs> I don't have a good ending. I, I wish I did. I, the only thing is something that you all have said is that your own engagement with this your own uh, sense of this is important and it matters uh, gives me hope. And I know each of you will deal with it in a different way. And that's, that's great. And you're not afraid to engage. And that's also great because that gives me some hope. Thank you all for being with me tonight. I really appreciate it. And you give me hope that the phrase justice, justice, shall you pursue is something that each of you holds very, very dear. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Tehillah Talks. For more information about Tehillah, go to congregationtehillah.org. Tune in next time when our teens continue to reflect on issues of the day through a Jewish lens.